This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year we're exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament in what we're calling a chronogeobiological flow, that is, we're following the chronology of the book of Acts, and then stepping off at the geographical places, the biographical people, the theological topics addressed in the book of Acts. And so today we're going to step back in to the book of Acts a bit as we enter into Ephesus for the first time with Paul and his team, and then start looking at the book of Ephesians. Ben, we're going we're gonna to take a look at Ephesians kind of spread out over the next few weeks as we've spent a lot of weeks in a row as looking at Corinth through First and Second Corinthians. And it's kind of out of the frying pan into the fire for Paul. We'll talk about that here in a moment. We're we're coming up here. It's the end of summer, sort of, and school's getting ready to start. I, I know that our boy, Abraham, is going to be a senior. He's pretty pretty pumped about that, uh, being a senior in high school. Everybody wants to finish up, but when they finish up, they're kind of sad in some ways that they're going to change those relationships. But he's looking forward to that year. And I know that you've got a, a couple girls that are Heading into what years? Uh, the oldest, uh, Savannah, will be a sophomore in high school this year. And then the youngest, Charlotte, will be entering into fifth grade, which means a new school uh, for her. She'll be going to what we call intermediate or middle school. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, they're both excited, ready to get back. As Charlotte told me yesterday when I asked her if she's ready to go back to school, um, she said, I'm tired of looking at you every day. I'm like, that's fair, kiddo. I'm excited for you to go back to school. Well, there's so. there's some love right there. Go, Charlotte. And any, any motivation to get you to study, we'll, we'll go for it. That's right. That's how that works. All right. So we're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians for the next several weeks, as I said, and leaving the city of Corinth. You know, Corinth was was known for all kinds of corruption, as we've talked about. They had all kinds of statues to Greek gods and goddesses, and the most famous of those was Aphrodite, with all kinds of sexual references to that. Ephesus, across the water, quite a ways across the water, on, one was in Greece and this one's in modern-day Turkey, Ephesus is, it was known for Artemis, and the, not only the statues to Artemis and the temple to Artemis, were a money-making machine for the city. Ephesus was a pretty good-sized city, uh, 200 to 300,000 people. I think it was the fourth-largest city in the Roman Empire. So it wasn't this backwater little nowhere. And as Paul is making his first entry into there, he's finishing his second missionary journey. I don't know if he was kind of gearing up to larger and larger places, getting started in small, small towns, in some ways where he started and it got progressively larger and more influential and bigger, if that was by strategy. But at least as it's laid out in the book of Acts, it looks like he's getting into more and more populated and corrupt and influential places to do to do ministry. You got any take on like why he ended up where he was going to go or just simply following the Holy Spirit's lead? Yeah, the way I read it uh, throughout Acts is prayer and following where the Spirit led him, which he speaks a little bit to uh, in Acts chapter 20, uh, which we'll get to at some point. 
But uh, yeah, that's the way I've always discerned it. Because there's been times, you know, as Paul has on his missionary journeys where he sought to go into a particular city and he just says the spirit kept him from going there and sent them somewhere else. And so I just take it as by design that the spirit is leading and guiding uh, him as to where he was going to go. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So in Acts chapter 18, we see Paul leaving Corinth after spending quite a bit of time there. And in verse 19, so in Acts 18, 19, it says they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, his ministry partners. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will, which is kind of your point you just made. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So that first entry into Ephesus and the stay wasn't long at all. He was just there. He might have gone one day into the synagogue and spoke with the Jewish people. They wanted him to stick around. We don't know how many days he stayed or, or whatever, but could have been one, I suppose. And then he was out. I find it interesting that he went to the, we've talked about this before, the Jewish people and into the synagogue. That's where he first went. But he was reasoning with them. He didn't, he didn't start with the Gentiles, even though it's been clear that he felt like his ministry was to the Gentiles. But he was trying to reason with people that he'd be pretty sure that some of them would come alongside and some of them would, would press against him. As you think about that phrase, he reasoned with them, what do you sense the conversation being like? as he's having this discussion or debate, reasonable debate perhaps, about Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people in his first entry into Ephesus. I mean, in this very populated city, very influential city. Yeah, any, any guesses about what those conversations might have been like? Yeah, I think... Um... I don't want to spoil anything, I guess, but as we get to the end of Acts and Paul goes before Festus and other leaders, uh, political leaders, one of the things that we see Paul saying is, let us reason together. And then we get the kind of back and forth between Paul and Festus or between Paul and and someone else. And we begin, I think, to see uh, some of how Paul operated. Um, whether it's within the synagogue or whomever he was seeking to bear witness uh, to Christ to. And so we see, I think, a level of patience with Paul, a level of uh, calm with him, uh, depending upon the environment, but the the willingness to kind of have a a back and forth uh, with whoever it was that that he was speaking with. And so we saw a little bit of this, I think, at, at Mars Hill, where we see Paul uh, within that particular cultural context, reasoning with those that uh, that he um, that he has opportunity mm-hmm. to 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 share the gospel with, and I'm assuming that's probably kind of the uh, temperament that he brought into the synagogue as well. Yeah, it probably makes sense as he's ministering to them. Now, what we're going to do in the next few weeks, at least, is look at a little bit about the Book of Acts, and then step into the book of Ephesians and back and forth in and out of that. And we realized that the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, was written 
a handful of years after he was there. But we're kind of going to go back and forth to get both a historical sense of what was taking place and this theological writing that, that Paul sends to them. As, so maybe it'll give us some insights into what was taking place in Ephesus. I know that Ephesus is an important city, and we have a lot in the New Testament related to the book of Ephesus that helps us get insights into that. So maybe we'll bring some of those things out along the way. Now, so what we're going to do today is look a little bit at Ephesians chapter 2 right now, because in the in the sermons that we're doing, three weeks will cover Ephesians 1 and 4 and 6, and these podcasts will be 2 and 3 and 5. The, the point being, we can't cover it all in a podcast. We can't cover it all in a sermon series. We, we can't cover even all of those chapters in any one of those things. But to get the full feel of it, we encourage people to to dial in to both the sermons and the podcast as well as the daily devotions. So let's just take that cue and go to Ephesians chapter 2 right now and see what we can glean from Paul now writing several years later, a handful of years later, not very many, but writing back to them after he had left them for the last time. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, As for you, speaking to the Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, you were dead in your transgressions. Hold that phrase. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Those opening verses to Ephesians 2 really lay it on the line. And the, the couple phrases, you were dead in your sins, by nature deserving of wrath. They really point out, I think, as Paul is thinking through these things, how, how important it is to follow Jesus. It's not simply about... I've heard who Jesus is, or I've or I've been to a church before. It, he said it's a it's a matter of life and death. It's it's a matter of having a full and abundant life in this world, or a a life that is far from God in this world, even well before we think of heaven and hell. It's about living it here in this world, and he's reminding them that they're. Their previous way of life, living in the city of Ephesus with one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the temple to Artemis. I mean, it was, it was really drawing people in to pull them away from anything that is good and right and holy. And he's reminding them, like, that world's still out there. It's outside your back door, Ephesian people. It is all surrounding you. And you have to remember if you're drawn back to that, it's deserving of wrath. Now, these phrases, dead in your sins, deserving of wrath, you ever preached a sermon with those titles? I mean, I, I, those are kind of 
hard words to hear, maybe back then, and 100% they're hard to hear now, don't you think? Yeah, they, they, and they remind us that God is just and that under God's law, um, we have all transgressed. And so from that standpoint, the one thing that we have earned for ourselves, while we can't earn or merit uh, God's love, which we're going to see here in the, in the, the passages that, um, that follow uh, these verses, while we can't earn or, or, or merit God's love, the one thing that we have earned is death. And so, as Paul said in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. We have suffered this spiritual death, this separation uh, from God by our sin, which is imaged in the reality of our coming physical death, of our physical uh, decay. And Paul is uh, reminding the Ephesians of who they were outside of Christ. And this is who we are outside of Christ. We are dead in our sin and transgressions. We cannot bring ourselves to life. Dead, dead things don't, uh, in essence, resurrect themselves. And we were by nature uh, objects of God's wrath, deserving of God's wrath, because by the standard of God's law, we have all broken that law. And, and God is holy and just. And so God can't look at lawbreakers and say, eh, that's, that's just not that bad. You know, I mean, we, we look at a speed limit, you know, and we, we look at, uh, you know, we think like 70 is a suggestion, uh, some of us, uh, maybe not myself included, but uh, we look at like 70 is like a suggestion. God does not look at his law as like a list of suggestions. God sees his law through the lenses of absolute truth, through the lens of his absolute love, for he is the author of love. He is the author of truth. And any violation of his holy law um, leads to death. I just got back from Michigan with, with my wife, and the interstates up there are 75 on the speed limit. So go to Michigan. You can speed her up. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something real quick. Arkansas, 75. Parts of Texas, 75, even 80 miles an hour. My, my favorite My favorite speed limit ever, I think it was in Montana when I was coming back from Yellowstone several years ago, and it just said reasonable. <laughs> That's the speed limit. I think it's something like, yeah, like be reasonable or something like that. And I'm like, well, you know, you can, I, everybody's got their own subjective understanding of what reasonable is. God does not say be reasonable. God says, this is, this is my law. Years ago when I was in Germany as a, as a high school kid, the Audubon has just suggestions. They're billboards, billboards, at least then they were, with suggestions of how fast you should you should maybe not travel beyond if you wanted to, but nobody was pulling anybody over, at least then. Yeah. I mean, you know, is that, is that the way it is? I mean, like when we think about the, theology, that's like, hey, you decide the speed limit, so to speak. You decide what's sin, or you decide what's a transgression, or you, you decide what's deserving of God's wrath. And we in our own denomination, or our own church, or our own small group, or my own sermons, I'll make my own decisions. I, I wonder if that's a thing for <laughs> yeah, us. Right. Well, yeah, I think it's a thing for some people. And look, there are there gray areas in Scripture? Absolutely. Is there uh, much regarding God's moral ethic that is absolute and crystal clear 
Yes, very much so. I think one of the problems, though, sometimes when we come, this is kind of a little uh, sidebar here, but I think sometimes one of the problems that, that we have when we come to God's law is sometimes we look at God as like this overbearing killjoy. Like, God doesn't want me to have fun. He only wants me to go 70 or, you know, however we perceive God's law. When the reality is, is that God has given us his law um, as a means for our human flourishing. And sadly, what happens is a lot of times we greet God's law through the lens of, you know, rules and, and regulations and God's a killjoy and doesn't want me to have fun rather than seeing it for what it is. This is my means to life. When at, at creation, when God created everything good, this is what life was and what we would be given to. And so when we look at God's law, while our sin has created within us this disposition to rebel against it, um, what we need as a follower of Jesus Christ, we our view of the law is then redeemed from the standpoint that we begin to understand and increasingly understand, no, God's law is sweet and good and holy and right, and he has given it to us as a means to human flourishing. That's really well put. Uh, just last night, I was having a strange discussion with my nephew Abraham, which most of our discussions are pretty weird, and we were talking about how fast do you think a cheetah can run, and he looked it up, and the the world record, at least on his phone, is that 61 miles an hour, this cheetah ran the 100-yard dash. And at that point, we were going 45 across the city. So he'd be outrunning us, right, Uncle Mark? Said, yeah, but we could outlast him. I said, look at my, my gas cage up here. It says I can do 400 more miles before I have to get gas. And, and, and so welcome to the Speed Limit Podcast. We're glad that you could join us today. Okay, so let's come, like your whole idea of redemption there. That's what he gets to next, right? Mm-hmm. In verses four through ten, and and really beyond. And let me pick that up. And in, in verse four of Ephesians two, it says, "But linking back to we were deserve by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive." You said dead things don't come back on their own. Nope. But with Jesus, they do. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. There's the word again, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Yet again, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is, the, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Before we go into verse 10, I just want to stop there and just talk about this, the nature of grace and the, the importance of that, because it's not by my works, not by my efforts. It's not by cleaning up my act. It's, it's not by... Trying any of us trying to be non-sinful that's going to make us right with God, is it? I mean, it's, it's by the mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God. It's this free gift through his son, Jesus Christ, for us. And we can't miss that. 
No, no, we can't. And and again, part of it is it's the nature of God's, I mean, unparalleled goodness that He pursues us even in the presence of our sin, when there's nothing within us that should compel God to pursue us, he has pursued us. Christ has died uh, for us. And really it's at the cross where God's justice and God's grace meet. And we see the, the, the nature of God's abounding love uh, toward us because look, God, God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He can't excuse it at that point. Then his law becomes arbitrary and God is no longer just. And God is just. God doesn't make mistakes. And so what he says is good, pure, and holy is good, pure, and holy uh, from the beginning to the end of time. But rather than leaving us to our own devices, rather than leaving us to endure the justice we deserve because of our sin, God sends Christ in our stead to bear the penalty that we deserve. And we see the immensity, again, this unmatched love, this unmatched grace toward us through Jesus Christ, that by faith in Christ, we're saved. That it's not by our good works, that it's not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ, which is then credited to us. Yeah, that's, that's so good. He goes on here then in, in verse 10, it's an extension of verse 9. We can't forget that. We can't take these in isolation. Because in, in verse in the 8 and 9, he said, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's how we're saved. For, verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. We're we're not made right with God because of that, but once we're made right with God, then we're called to do whatever he's given to us. We're called to go wherever he sends us and, and to be the, the people he's called us to be. So it's, it's not by cleaning up my act that I earn favor with God. On the other hand, earning favor with God is not a license to never clean up my act it's to, or to never do anything or to live solely for myself or to not do good to the world. It, right. Am I saying that in yeah. a way that's sensible at all? Yeah, and it's like Paul Paul uh, in Romans anticipates after his, you know, chapters on th- that he opens the his letter to the Romans um, talking about the goodness and grace of, of God, he anticipates the response, which is, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? Shall I go on sinning and just be like, well, but it doesn't matter because God's grace is so immense. And, and Paul anticipates the question that's going to arise, you know, shall we go on sending that grace might increase? And he says, by no means, because having been recipients of this grace um, and all of its benefits, it compels us, this great love that we have received compels us to live as God has called us to live. And the Spirit is active in changing and transforming and ripening our hearts, as Paul says in Galatians, that we are going to increasingly reflect and reveal Jesus Christ in our lives, and we're going to live into the calling that he's placed upon our lives. Because if we've been set apart to God through Christ, we are going to increasingly want to do the things that God calls us to to do because we're going to increasingly love those things. 
it's it's such an important thing to live into that calling, to live into that purpose, because it's what gives us, I think, the rich meaning in our lives as as you're discussing here. Let's um let's just talk for a couple of minutes about some of the the balance of Ephesians chapter two. As Paul kind of moves on and he's he's calling out the people who are Gentiles in Ephesus, those who are non-Jews, that is. And one of the things he says to them in verse 12, he says, remember that at that time, in the in the former time before they were believers, at that time you were separate from Christ, makes sense, they weren't Christians yet, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And here's the phrase that I want to hang on to, without hope and without God in the world. Now, these people were citizens of the city of Ephesus. There were Greek gods and goddesses all around them. And they had the hope of the Pax Romana, the Roman Empire, and all that it brought, the safety and security and, and the wealth of all of that. But he's saying to them, it's not the Ephesian dream or the American dream or anything else that will give you true hope. Because when you are without Christ, no matter Jew or Gentile, American or Ephesian or whatever you are, you without Christ, you are without hope. And you're truly without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love the image of that, Ben, how he, he's acknowledging that they're like the world had been divided into two parts, at least by the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the non-Jews, the people of the covenants of God and the, and the promises of God and the people without those. And he's saying, we're all brought near to God by the blood of Christ. He goes on into verse 18, well, I'm sorry, verse 14 first, and says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now I'll skip to verse 18. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I just love the the language of all of this, how it says, it doesn't matter how far away from God you think you are, how much outside of the ways of God you've lived your life. It's through Christ, through the blood of Christ, through the Holy Spirit's work in your life that he wants to give you access to God the Father and he wants you to bring you near to him no matter how far away you think you were. You might think you're without hope. You might think that you're without God in this hard world, but Jesus wants you to know that he can bring you near to the heart of God through him. Give us your your thoughts on that and wrap us up in this conversation. Yeah, I think that when you know, Paul here is talking about the reconciliation that we experience with God through Christ, that though we were once separated from him, uh, through Christ, we are, we become bound to him. And that is, that is imaged tangibly in the world through our relationships with one another. And so this reconciliation that we experience with God vertically expresses itself horizontally. And what, I don't know if there was a, a better, more beautiful picture of that in the ancient world 
then seeing Jew and Gentile bound together as one in Christ. And so as Paul constantly speaks to, in every single one of the letters he writes, um, he speaks to this new community of people brought together through Christ. These people that used to be, uh, that used to live in hostility to one another brought together in Christ to where the constant refrain that we see in Paul's messages at different points is that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, um, but we are one in Jesus Christ. And so we get to, I think, we, we get to taste more fully of the reconciliation we have with God. We experience it more tangibly, uh, this reconciliation we have with God through the reconciliation we experience within the body of Christ between brothers and sisters in Christ who honestly, I mean, I look at the, the church community around me and I think to myself, how many of these folks would I be in relationship with if it wasn't for Jesus? Yeah, so, so true and so helpful. We're going to continue our discussion next time as we, as we keep moving through the book of Ephesians, some of the story. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 3, which goes more deeply into the things that you were, I were just talking about in God's great plan for us. So we hope you can join us next week for that. If you want to jump in deeper, we encourage you to go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find the church app and click on the Be On Mission link. And it includes a daily Bible reading with devotions and a poem each day, as well as the weekly sermon and other episodes of this podcast. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be On Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless.